Do we treat sin lightly? A few weeks ago, Mike made this point in his sermon that if we aren't regularly praying to God for help against temptations, we might be taking our sin too lightly. As Christians, I don't think we set to do any of this out purposely, but we recognize that we are sinful creatures. In our sin, sometimes we despise God's word. Living in light of the good news of Jesus, punishment from sin from a rightfully angry king can seem like an Old Testament problem. But our God has not changed. There are consequences for our sin, some that we see each day. And there, are, there is an eternal punishment for those who have not placed their hope in Christ Jesus as their Savior. What I want us to think about tonight is that despising God's word is a problem. But God is gracious to give us the remedy through his son, Jesus. If you haven't already, please open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 15 through 16. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find it on page 388. Please follow along as I read. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. This passage parallels part of what we read this morning in Luke 23.1, where it says, And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him, then arraying him in splendid clothing sent him back to Pilate. We see that not only were the prophets and messengers of God mocked and despised, but in Luke we find that God, the Son, Jesus, was mocked and despised. Jesus linked these uh, events earlier in Luke 20, when he tells the parable of the wicked tenants. In this parable, the people beat and injure the messengers, but when the heir to the vineyard arrives, who is Jesus, the people kill him in order to receive his inheritance. Well, before we dive in, Allow me to give some brief context for our text. First and Second Chronicles is a historical record of Israel. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, it's titled, The Things Omitted, meaning that it supplements content to the books of Samuel and the Kings. Many have thought that Ezra was the writer, but most Christian scholars simply refer to the author as the chronicler. The Chronicles focus mostly on the history of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. We learn that most of the kings did not follow the Lord. We, when we reach the last chapter of 2 Chronicles, we focus on the last four kings. We are told that they all did what was evil inside of the Lord. Previously, in verse 14, we're told that not only were the kings unfaithful to God, but that the officers of the priests and the people were exceedingly unfaithful, and they polluted the house of the Lord. So as we approach the end of the historical record of Judah, the future is looking pretty bleak. After all, the last four words of our passage read, there was no remedy. For those of you taking notes, the outline will be structured into three questions. First, who are the characters? Second, how do we compare? And lastly, what is the remedy? Let's begin with our first question. Who are the characters? And to find out, let's read the text again. As you follow along, see if you can identify who the characters are. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, 
because he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. Well, our first character is God, and we can learn much about him here. First, we see the authority of God. He is introduced as the Lord. Look closely, and you'll see that those are all capital letters. This stands for Yahweh, or I am who I am. God revealed his name to Moses and us in Exodus, chapter 3, verse 14. There we learn that no one is greater. No one created God. He has always been and he always will be. As the author of the universe, he has authority over all things. This one true God is the same God who brought Israel out of slavery from Egypt, as he is described as the God of their fathers. Next, we see that God is sent to us persistently. Thankfully, God does not hide himself from us or even only reveal himself to us just once. God, through his messengers, reveals himself and seeks his people out. We see this in other parts of scripture. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 25.3, I have spoken persistently to you. Through the history of Israel, God makes himself known to his people through people like Moses, Joshua, the judges, Samuel, Jeremiah, and the other prophets. We see this again in the New Testament with the prophet John the Baptist, and of course in Jesus, the Son of God. God is so gracious in persistently seeking his people out. And we find out why he seeks his people out in verse 15, where it reads, because he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. In Exodus chapter 34, God proclaims himself to be compassionate when he passes in front of Moses, saying, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love, kindness, and truth. But we also see in verse 16 of tonight's passage that God will pour out his wrath on sin, where it says, until the wrath of God arose. God, in his perfect holiness, is just and righteous. If we are to keep reading in Exodus 34, from where I just read, we see not only is God compassionate and slow to anger, but he is also the one who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. When we commit sin, we are saying we want to play by our own rules instead of God's. But our holy God will not be dethroned, and so sin must be punished. God is not the only character here. In these verses, we also meet the people of Judah. And sadly, the only positive description is that they are his people and he is the God of their fathers. Once we see how the people of Judah acted toward their God, the descriptors all turn negative. They despised his word, mocked his messengers, and scoffed at his prophets. And what does it mean to despise, mock, and scoff at God's word? This happens when we dislike God's word, feel contempt for it, maybe find that it gets in the way of our desires. When we sin, we despise God's word. In 2 Samuel 12.9, King David was confronted by Nathan after he lusted for Bathsheba, committed adultery with her, and murdered her husband. Nathan said to David, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? David knew it was against God's word, but he did it anyway. In fact, any time a sin is committed, it is an act of despising God. What is the consequence of Judah's despising God's word? In verse 16, we see that they were helpless against God's wrath, and there was no remedy. 
This is always the consequence of despising God's word. Given that we have the characters in view, let's ask our second question. How do we compare? So, how do we compare with Judah? While I was meditating over the passage, the words despise, mocking, and scoffing seemed harsh. I see people acting like this towards God on TV and movies, um, from acquaintances who do not believe in God. But do Christians do this? In the introduction, I asked if we treat sin lightly. By taking God's word lightly, we will treat sin lightly. Christians certainly shouldn't mean to do this, but I think we do far more often than we think. A friend of mine said that our natural approach to God's law and our sin is to minimize the extent of the law. When God's word is taken lightly, we create what I will call false gray areas regarding God's commandment and our sin. And what I'm saying is that we don't take the entirety of scriptures into account when deciding what is sinful or not. A good test to see how lightly we take sin would be to read the Sermon on the Mount, which can be found in Matthew 5. Jesus goes into depth, teaching that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. In Matthew 5, 21-26, Jesus teaches that the commandment, you shall not murder, goes much further than face value. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fire, to the hell of fire. There is more to God's law than face value. God is very concerned that we don't murder, but he's also concerned with what is in our hearts. He is concerned with the murderous anger that we have in our hearts. In the Old Testament, even as Israel worked so hard at following God's laws, God was more concerned about the humble heart behind their actions. Now, how does treating sin lightly look in our everyday lives? I mentioned false gray areas because there are true gray areas in our decisions each day. Here's an example of a true gray area. What piece of fruit should I eat with my breakfast? An apple or a banana? Well, God provided both for the health and goodness of my body, so he should be pleased with either decision. But what about when you're driving on the beltway and you're also in a hurry to get somewhere? God did not say, do unto others what we would have them do to us, except when we're dealing with lots of angry drivers. No, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves always. Our willingness to make exceptions to God's command may reflect a temptation to despise God's word. Have you ever been confronted or challenged by another church member with the word of God? Did you respond in a defensive way or were you open to be challenged by God's word? Our hesitancy to receive correction may reflect a temptation to despise God's word. Children, teenagers, and young adults, have you ever found yourself laughing at crude jokes or making fun of someone just so that you could fit in with a group of people? Do you ever roll your eyes and complain when your parents deny you something that you want? Your parents are messengers of God in your life. The fifth commandment tells us to honor our parents. The temptation to disregard our parents' wisdom and instruction may be a deeper temptation, may reflect a deeper temptation to despise God's word. God's word tells us that we have all sinned and failed to meet God's holy standards. Sadly, the reality is we cannot escape similarly comparing to the people of Judah. The Apostle Paul was transparent about sin in Romans 7, verse 21, where he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. 
For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Like Paul, no matter how much we delight in God's word, we cannot deny the war of sin raging within us each day. Remember, Christian brothers and sisters, although you have been saved by faith, we still live in the world. But because we have been saved by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we walk in the light. In his kindness, God reveals sin in our lives and leads us to repentance. For the generations that lived under the last four kings of Judah, there was no remedy against God's wrath. Those who were not killed were taken captive into Babylon. This is one more thing that we share in common with the people of Judah. Because of their sin, they were unable to stand up against God's wrath, and neither can we. The story of Judah's decline in 2 Chronicles is not just for historical record. It is a warning for future generations of people who would and will be confronted with God through his word, the Bible, and his messengers. If you are here tonight and you have not put your faith in Christ Jesus as your Savior for your sin, then first of all, I want to thank you for coming and thank you for being patient as I try to explain God's word. I also encourage you to seriously meditate on the verses this week. We know that there is such a thing as right and wrong, and we know that many of these rights and wrongs seem universal and timeless and surpass our cultural norms. You might even struggle with guilt for the wrongs or sin in your life. This is natural because we were created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, and we cannot do this with sin in the way. This scripture warns us that sin was a problem for Judah, and it remains a problem for us today. But there is good news because there is a remedy. And that leads us to our last question, what is the remedy? The Old Testament prophets who were sent to Judah by our compassionate God were being mocked and scoffed at because of the remedy they were trying to make clear to them. In the first chapter of Isaiah, the prophet speaks of Israel as children who have rebelled against the Lord to the point that they do not even know him anymore. But in the ninth verse of Isaiah 1, it gives us a glimpse into God's mercy in light of his wrath. It says, If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. God had punished Israel in past generations for their sin, but he has left a remnant of Israel for future generations to glorify him. In this case, God left a remnant of Judah to be taken to Babylon. At the end of this chapter, in verses 20 and 23, we see that after 70 years, Judah was able to return to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding the temple. You can find this prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 12. God left this remnant for a very specific reason. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, God declares that out of the line of King David would come a king who would sit on his throne forever. And this king would never lose the steadfast love of God even though he would be disciplined for the sins of the people. This includes our sins. In Isaiah 53, which we read from this morning, we learn more of this king. Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men. He was despised and we esteemed him not. In verse 12, we see the remedy to our problem prophesied when Isaiah says, Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the good news and the remedy that the former kings of Israel could not provide. 
The king who sits on the throne forever is Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus never despised God's word. He perfectly honored and obeyed God's word. He bore the sins of many by being the once and for all sacrifice when he died on the cross. He conquered death through his resurrection and makes intercession for the transgressors. We were born as scoffers whether we like it or not. And we have no power within ourselves to pay the debt of sin that we have accrued. But our loving and compassionate God paid the debt of our sin and allows us to have communion with him through Christ Jesus. If we would repent and believe. So friends, I urge you to repent and believe. We should conclude. God compassionately loves sinners like us. He has spoken his word to us clearly through his messengers and prophets. And we have that same word in the Bible. God still seeks us out through messengers today. All Christians are messengers to the world. As we are told to go out and make, uh, as we are told to go out and make disciples, teaching them God's words. How can we fight the temptation to scoff at or despise God's word? For one, we can gather with God's people and hear the word of God explained. We can and should read our Bibles, sing hymns, pray, and have fellowship with one another. Let's use God's word to challenge each other that we can build up the church of God. Tonight, as we conclude our service, we will even have the time, the opportunity to honor God's word by being obedient to Jesus' command to celebrate the Lord's Supper until he comes again. Let's rejoice that in the supper we celebrate God's remedy to our sin, Jesus and his perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Let's pray and prepare our hearts for this. Please pray with me. Holy God, thank you that you have always sought out your people and made yourself known to us. In your mercy, forgive us when we despise you and your word. Because of your compassion towards us and your kingdom, Please continue the good work you've started in our lives. Amen.